Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, good morning, church. It's uh, never, never boring here online. And thanks for bearing with us this morning as we dealt with some of those technical difficulties. And now we are off and running. Speaking of off and running, that is the name of our kids series that we have going on right now. So all you parents, I hope you check out the latest kids video that just got sent out. And we're really excited for what we have going on as a church in all the different areas that we call home. Uh, Thanks to Paige and Joyce for leading us in that scripture reading this morning. We're in the middle of a series as we're walking through the book of James, as you heard, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But before we really continue, I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, this past week, I hope that you were up to date and you heard about the BC Restart Plan and what that's going to be looking like in these next a few months for us as a province, and uh, in turn, what that's going to be looking like for us as a church. We have tried to talk it through and put together a, a plan in the meantime of how we are going to proceed in these upcoming months. We put together a blog, and if you just go to the details of, of the stream, uh, you're going to be able to find a link to, to go to that and see some of the thoughts around it. But we're really looking forward to taking this step by step and being aware. And uh, one of the things in particular I want you to take note of on June 20th, we're looking to have our first in-person gathering in, a, in the last while. Uh, we're just waiting to see if we're going to be able to have congregational singing and some socializing taking place as of the June 15th mark. We're just going to be patient and we're going to plan, but we're also going to be flexible alongside. So if you want to ha- look at that blog, it's hopefully it'll answer some of your questions. And then if you have any other questions, feel free to email myself at jason at citycollective.com. As well, uh, I wanted to take a moment today and... and uh, it wasn't planned in in the week, but um, just a couple days ago, there was news that came out about the BC Residential School and and the kids that were found buried um, at this Indigenous school, and it is heartbreaking. It is horrible. Um, it's something we need to grieve, and I think it's important for us as a church to not just rush past these moments, but to pay attention. And, and to recognize the brokenness that is taking place all around us because it, it might seem like it just took place in the past, but this is ongoing trauma. There's, this is an impact upon the present. And this is something that we need to be held accountable with as, as a society, as, as a country, and how we proceed so that these kind of things don't happen again. It's, it's, it is brutal in every sense of the word. And if we're being honest, this is one incident that has come to, the, come to light and in reality, there is, there's far more that has taken place. This is, this is a systemic issue that needed to be, needs to be addressed. And um, as the church, how do we respond to moments like this? Well, we grieve with those who grieve. We weep with those who weep. We, we believe that justice is, is the way of Jesus, that there is, there is a way in which we can proceed as a church and, and praying for those who are hurting and for grieving, understanding that the ongoing trauma of these situations is real and it's relevant, and that in moments like those where, where a clear evil took place, it's because the image of God was lost when people looked at another. To look at the other in that situation 
and lose the image of God is not the way of Jesus. And so we grieve with those who grieve, we weep with those who weep, and we believe that there is healing and reconciliation through the power of Jesus in every single person who's in that situation, and on a systemic and a society level as well. We believe that Jesus is bigger and better, and we stand in solidarity with that. So thank you for giving me a moment for that. I hope that your hearts are, are also um, grieving alongside those who are processing through these latest sets of information. And so with that in mind, as we are preparing uh, for the sermon this week, and we're talking about James chapter 2, I, I hope that you heard some of the key phrases that kind of came out of this passage. That faith without works is dead, and in many ways it's relevant to a, a statement, to a situation we saw just take place. And so I hope that yeah, you're ready this morning. Last week we talked about being steadfast and the pure joy that we can find in being steadfast and, and, and the cycle and the circle that it takes us on. So if, you're, if you missed that sermon that past week as we got things going, uh, you can jump onto our YouTube, our Facebook, and you can get caught up. But this week, we're in James chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 14. And uh, we had the scripture re- reading read for us, but let me open up with a, with a question this morning as I kind of regather my thoughts. Um, do you remember... Do you remember a world pre-COVID where you would be crammed into a small space with a group of people? Do you remember that this world once existed? That this world once didn't make you feel a little anxious immediately? Like, where's everyone's mask and why are they so close to me and are they breathing on me? Or maybe you already felt that way like like myself. When I was thinking about this in particular, my mind went to an elevator. You know those moments where like maybe it's an elevator, maybe it was like transit, where you're all stuffed into a space together. It's back to back, it's neck to neck, it's head to back. It is, it is intimate, it is personal, it is breathing on one another, and maybe all these things are anxiety-ridden right now. But in some ways, they were in those moments as well. These past couple of weeks, you saw Ezekiel and Marga this morning. Uh, we've been able to meet together in an office space just across from the Surrey, Lang- uh, Surrey Hospital in uh, one of the city center towers. And we're on the fourth floor, so we take the elevator to get up there um, during the week and it's a different experience right now in elevators. They've got the three different spots in the elevator and you get in and it's a maximum of three. And in many ways, I'm just kind of glad that this is the way it is because for myself, I don't like and I've never liked crammed elevators. I feel as if I am unable to control my own personal space in those moments. And it's, it's very clear that even in this environment, I'm kind of hoping that these kind of spots and spaces and limits kind of extend a little further for at least elevators and being back to back, cheek to cheek with someone, breath to breath, however it feels, is not really my, my, my perfect cup of tea. But I remember one time, I was in an elevator, I was by myself, I was enjoying my solitary elevator ride, going from, I think it was like the eighth floor of a hotel, all the way down, and unfortunately, I got stopped on the sixth floor, and in comes a, a, a mom with, with, her, with her little one, and she comes right on in, but she, she, she didn't really see that I was there, I think there was a lot going on for her at the moment, and she came in big, flailing, little one kind of wanting her attention, and 
she, she took up her spot. She kind of bumped into me, said sorry, and, and moved to the side a, a little bit at least. And then we dropped down one more floor, the fifth floor. And it opens up those elevator doors. And lo and behold, who's coming in? It is an entire girls softball team that is about to go and compete. And so they're, they're loaded up. And they decide, we don't need to wait for two elevators. We're going to all fit into one elevator. So they all piled into this one elevator with, with myself and this poor mom and the, the little one. And we're all crammed into there and we're all all tight and personal and we're, we're, we're getting to know each other in this little space and it's on the fifth floor and it feels like the eternity going down those stairs and I found it so ironic in this moment so we're we're making our way down and the the little one looks up at looks up at uh, her mom and she she says hey mom can, can, can I can I can you pick me up can you can you hold me and she's trying to get her attention she's trying to get up in her personal space and and her mom says in that moment, hey, um, can you give mom her personal space right now? And this is me in this moment. I'm in this corner. I'm, I'm, I'm squished up against all of this, all, all the softball team. But not just that, I have two fairly large bags being held by this mom, being crunched up against me as well. I've got all the sense of a softball team as well as a mouthful of animal crackers that have somehow pushed their way up against my face in this situation. And I'm thinking to myself, that's ironic that you want personal space in this moment because you are invading mine. It's like, it's like uh, an owner or a chef of what they say is the best steakhouse in the city going to a Ruth's Chris for their birthday. These are examples of moments where there is a difference between what is claimed and what is done. And that the actions that take place in these moments speak louder about what they actually think than any words that were communicated. And I find it interesting that I think we do this fairly often where we say one thing that mentally we affirm and we believe is right and we think that is going to be the best possible course of action, but our actual action, our actual response in the moment does not line up. And James, in this chapter 2, is putting the reader on blast. It's putting you and me in the spotlight with what is often the, the trademark of this letter. As he says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Because I think this, I think that it is easy to claim faith. When, when those surveys go out every year and, and they're asking people about their religious background or what, what, what religious affiliation they are, especially in the Western world, Christianity is an easy box to check in that moment. But I'm not just talking about, about faith generically or having a spiritual experience. I'm talking about, and what James is talking about, is a Jesus-centered trust. It's a Jesus-centered belief. Because it's not just even an affirmation of ideas, because it's really easy for you and me to look at the people around us and give 
advice about how they should be living their life. If this is what it says in the Bible, this is what I heard my pastor say on a Sunday morning. You should act like this. You should live like this. You should, you should talk like this. It's really easy for us to give advice, but to actually do something that is different, to actually have our beliefs grab hold of our hearts in such a way that it moves us to a different course of action is far more difficult. There, there was a, a survey and, and stats that were kind of gathered about belief without works. It was kind of trying to identify this cultural form of Christianity, just saying I'm a Christian without actually trying to live as a follower of Jesus. And this poll was taken several years ago, but basically it was outlining the lifestyle activities of Christians. And it was, it was identifying that they were the same as those who were not claiming to be Christians. The, this, this list included gambling, visiting pornographic websites, stealing, gossiping, consulting a medium or a psychic, having a physical altercation or abusing someone, using illegal drugs, lying, getting back at someone for what they did, and consuming enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk. There was no statistical difference between those who claimed to be Christian and those who were not. In fact, the only activity that was less common was recycling. 68% of Christians recycle versus 79% of non-Christians. So the, the moral of this sermon is you need to start recycling. I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. You need to recycle. But th these, I'm not, I'm not outlining this list to shame you. Because this isn't meant to be a list of simply vices. What this is, the, these correlate with actions that are selfish and self-serving in nature. Yet a faith that is centered in Jesus would say that we should live otherwise. And so all of this is to say we have a cultural Christianity problem where faith in Jesus, faith as maybe we just think of as, as a mental affirmation, looks a lot like how people orient their beliefs in society. Uh, comedian Louis C.K., he, he has this, this quote, and he says this. He says, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs, and I just like believing them. I like, I, I like that part. I, they're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am, but if they get in the way of what I want... I sure as heck just do what I want to do. And this is what the world looks like, and far too often this is what Christianity looks like. And what James is saying is faith that has no evidence, faith, faith that has no deeds is dead. And I love the dramatic picture that is being painted because death has some gravity behind it. James is saying, and hear me, church, he's saying that a faith that does not have works, a faith that does not have a response of action, is as if you have turned a generous gift of grace 
into a self-serving gift of rationalization. And perhaps this morning you're hearing this for the first time. And you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, th- th- that makes sense. If my, if my actions don't match up, well, then do I really believe? And it, it, should, it should make a lot of sense. But there's actually a lot of controversy around this passage in particular. Throughout history, we have seen many a theologian, much wiser and more re- well-read than myself, have a, have a conflict within the biblical narrative around the book of James and some of the other teachings in particular, looking at the teachings of Paul and the seemingly this contradiction between what James James is writing and what Paul is writing throughout his ministry because James writes in verse 24 he says you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone and on the surface this seems to flatly contradict what Paul is saying because Paul says in in Romans for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law for it is and then in Ephesians 2 it says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It seems to be as if it, it is in conflict, and it has actually been a, a point in which people have said that there is a contradiction in what they're saying, that our, our, our faith actually works in relationship to Jesus. But I want to tell you today that I think that what is t- the conversation between James and Paul is actually in alignment to what it can look like in our stories to be followers of Jesus. I think there is a powerful revelation for us to discover that our faith and our works are actually meant to work together. Paul is emphatic that we are justified by faith alone and not by works, but James is equally emphatic that we're justified by what we do and not by faith alone. So so what's happening here? Well, on the surface, they might seem opposed, but we also know this, that this letter was probably written right around the same time as when Paul was writing to the Galatians. So pretty early, they were probably aware of each other, and Paul himself within his writings recognizes that his teachings were being misunderstood, that people were taking this idea to be being justified by faith alone as as a get-out-of-jail-free card, that if I simply place my faith in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. But he he takes time to even specifically identify, he tells us in the church in Corinth, that they should have works that reflect the faith that they have expressed. That if they're going to say they're a follower of Jesus, have your life look like it. And you need to believe that you, what you're, what you're, placing your trust in, but your works need to come alongside of it because the Christian path is not one of comfort. And a relationship with Jesus is, to be, is meant to be something that confronts all that we do within us and to hold us in a place that as we are acting, as we are working, as we are proceeding, we are considering what would Jesus do. The real evidence is how that faith moves someone to obey what God has said to them. What Paul called the obedience that comes from faith. He says that in Romans 1 verse 5. Because Paul shows us that we are saved by faith alone, but James shows us that saving faith never remains alone. It is seen in godly deeds. It's, it's as if uh, we, we've all lost something. Do you find that you uh, find the most, well, I've, I've talked about this before, that the most valuable element of the Apple Watch is the fact that I can ping my phone when I lose it. We all lose things. We're all looking for things. I remember we were on a family vacation once, and I was uh, silly enough to wear my contacts into the swimming pool, and I did not bring any extra sets of contacts, and I was so, so, so 
uh, irresponsible. And I brought that into the pool with me, and I dove on in, and out went the contact. And can you imagine trying to find a contact in a pool? Well, I imagined it in that moment, and I committed myself to find it. And I told people around me, hey, can you help me look for it? You can help me look for it. And they said very hopefully, you know what? I hope that you find it. I hope that you find it. You know what? Maybe it's over there. Maybe it's over there. But nobody actually stopped to help me look. I don't blame them. Finding a contact in a swimming pool is, a, is, is not the easiest endeavor. And did I search? Did I find it? Yes. Was I able to retrieve it? No, because every time I dove on down, it moved on me. But I, what I'm trying to say is this, is that their nice thoughts and their, their, uh, their hopeful prayers, it's as if a faith that does not have works. That if we're going to just say that, I, I hope that things get better for you. I hope that you find some restoration in your family. I, you know, I'm just going to pray for you and believe that it's going to be something that takes place in your story that will move things forward. When you can actually be doing something about it, this is the challenge that's being presented to us. If your faith is simply a crutch to do only what is comfortable for you, it is not a faith placed in Jesus. A faith placed in Jesus is something that compels us to action that motivates us to love, that inspires us to be a people that sees the hurting and the broken and the lost and not just say, I'm going to pray for you, not just say, I'm going to say nice things to you or hope something for you, but I'm going to get in the fight with you. My, my, I'm not going to have sympathy. I'm going to have empathy that draws me into the, the brokenness of the moment and I'm going to be moved in a way that only Jesus could move me. If the foundation of my faith is simply an, uh, an affirmation of assent on a mental level, and it doesn't move me to a place of real action. It has not caught my heart in a way that Jesus truly wants to find a place in my life. Faith without works is dead. And James, he makes a series, a series of arguments about why faith is dead without works. And he makes a really jarring statement, actually, that he says even the demons believe that Satan himself knows about Jesus and probably has a great theology, but does not shift their actions. To, to know is not enough. And then he talks about Abraham as a man of faith. That, that was active, but there was a long period of waiting in which he, he was faithfully waiting upon God. And then when it was given to him, his, his son Isaac, and then he was asked to sacrifice him, there was a faith and a trust that was placed in Jesus, that was placed in a God that loved him. And then it tells the story of, of Rahab, an Old Testament story from the book of Joshua, where messengers come in and she hides them. And, and pro it probably means that if you were a Christian in World War II, you can hide Christians. And there was people who were concerned about that. And it, it, you, we were missing the point. If, if your faith does not drive you to action, what, what James is saying, that even Rahab in this moment, she had one, she was Rahab the prostitute, she was not in a place in her life where she probably had her faith correct in every single moment, but she had real faith capture her heart and move her to action and response in a powerful way. You don't have to have a life, life's worth of experiences and good moments and right decisions in order to have real faith. Because real faith is not based upon what you do. It's based on who Jesus is. Faith is where it starts. And when I go to the source, 
I begin to live from the source. And let me tell you, that source is not something that wants you to stand still or to be silent. That source is something that moves you and shapes you. It confronts your selfishness. It confronts your pride. It, it, it makes love seem like a natural response instead of a burden. It makes you care for those around you in such a way that it is out of humility instead of, instead of a place of manipulation or affirmation. The source becomes all that we need to live a life that is reflective of Jesus when we, when we have that, that approach. I want you to think of it like this. Um, have, you, have you ever rowed a boat? Now, I can't say that I have or done it well. I, I've probably done it once and I've done it really poorly. Uh, but what, what do you need in, in, in a boat? You need two oars. And if you're, you're on your own kayak, you've got one on either side. And, and what I want you to picture with me is that on one side, one oar says faith. And on one side, it says works. And what happens when you just row with your faith side? You get going, and where do you go? You go in a circle. You go in a circle. And if you are living a life purely based upon faith or mental affirmation of belief, where does it take you? It takes you in circles where it is only about yourself. But then you go on the flip side, and, and then you start just, just rowing with your works paddle. And that's all you're working with. You're, you're working with your works. And sure, it feels good and maybe it might look good to those around you, but you're going in circles just as much because all that you're doing and all that you're working towards because it's out of your own strength is about, guess what, you again, you again. And you're going in circles on either side. But what happens when faith and works start working in tandem? That faith goes into the water first and pulls you along. Then works responds and pulls you along. And pretty soon, you're not going in circles, but you're pursuing the way of Jesus in a powerful way where faith and works are hand in hand, rowing together towards the purposes of God to build the kingdom in this world. Not in isolation, but in coordination. It takes both faith and works to actually follow Jesus. Faith and deeds to actually follow Jesus. Doing is the evidence that one believes. Now, now hear me this morning. Belief, placing your trust in Jesus, is all that is needed. The Bible declares, for whoso, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. It is belief that is all that is asked, but not belief by simply saying some magic words. We can teach a parrot to, pre, to pray a prayer. We can teach someone to just say words, but unless they're actually the, the compulsion of our heart, a commitment of our heart, the greatest indication of a heart that is committed is the actions that come forward. Does it mean perfection? No. Does it mean always getting it right? No. Does it mean that you won't make any mistakes along your journey? No. But it does mean that, that this is a faith, a life centered around Jesus that looks more and more like Jesus. 
in everything that takes place. There is grace and truth. There is wisdom and peace. There is joy in suffering in ref- and reflection and growth. And there is confidence and humility. It's the impossibility of all of these things coming together so much so that it declares that my works are not by my own strength, but to Jesus I give all the glory. Because it is in Jesus that I place my trust. And I am simply the lighthouse and not the light. He is the light. He is my source. As I wrap up this morning, we're going to be having communion together. So uh, if you don't have your communion elements, make sure that you grab that in a moment here. But I think it's significant that James uses death life terminology to contrast false faith with genuine faith. So faith by itself, if it has not works, is dead because genuine faith produces new life in Christ. James 2 points out that words don't mean much if we have the ability to do more. Because here's the thing. Look at the story of Rahab. God will use anybody, anywhere, anytime, no matter how far they've gone or how, how beaten up they might think they are, And even if we just have a a little bit of real faith, a little commitment of our heart, if we let real trust take hold in, in a new way, our hearts and our actions begin to shift, and then our faith grows, and then our works change, and faith and their work and works, they travel side by side, and they start walking step by step, answering to one another like two legs walking forward on the journey of pursuing Jesus. First faith, and then works, and then faith builds, and then works respond until you can scarcely distinguish one from another, and you are moving forward into the purpose and calling that Jesus has for you this morning. So my prayer, church, is that Jesus would be more than a mental affirmation, would be more than a good idea, be more than an argument of morality. But Jesus would truly be a relationship that captures your heart in such a way that you are compelled, inspired, motivated, driven to work the goodness of God into our world in every situation, knowing that when you fall short, grace will find you and grace will move you again. Faith and works, step by step, we move forward believing that that is enough when we come and we place our hope and our trust in Jesus, that on that cross 2,000 years ago, he died so that we could experience life and life abundantly, that when he rose again, he invited us into that newness of life, not just to continue life as it is, but to place our trust and discover what newness of life looks like when we start to pursue the way of Jesus in every area of our life. And it starts today by just simply saying, I'm placing my trust in you, Jesus. Maybe you've done that before, but, or maybe you just found it's been, been like a, a mental consent. Yeah, I've, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to work for me. It makes sense. My parents believed it. Um, my friends believe it. No, no, no. I want it to be a commitment of our hearts. This isn't just to do it to make people happy around you. This is about finding a relationship with the living God and seeing our lives transformed out of it. Let me pray for you this morning.
as we continue. So Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that when we place our faith in you, we find freedom. And not just faith as a good idea or faith as, as a religious commitment, but the, truly a commitment of our heart to a relationship with the living God. And when we encounter you, when we encounter you just as you came into that, that room with the disciples and you showed the holes in your hands and you said, don't look for the living amongst the dead, you're inviting us to have be more than a good, good idea, but to have it truly be something that captures our hearts and moves us to be a people of action. I pray that we as a church, that we at City Collective would be a people that represent the actions and works of Jesus in our community in a powerful way, in our, in our actions, in our encouragements, in, in, our, in our commitment of time, in our commitment of money, of, of, of energy. Jesus, will we just look more like you and be more like you, shift our hearts, con- convict us in the areas where we need to be convicted and, and draw us to a place of repentance so that we can turn around and turn towards you. For those who are listening this morning who, who might not know you, Jesus, I just pray that in their homes, wherever they're at, that they would have an encounter of your presence, that they would sense your love, they would sense your healing, your forgiveness, your mercy, wherever they're at, that they would be encountered by it, and that there would just be a, a, a spark of faith, a spark of trust in you, and that that would be more than enough to begin to shape their lives in a new way. So we give you thanks and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.